All right, well, welcome. Thank you for those who are watching through our social media or listening on WLGS. We also welcome you to our Wednesday night Bible study. Tonight we're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 8 and 9. Well, it's good to get the truth. And uh, we've been inundated this month with rainbows. And tonight we're going to look at the source of the rainbow, the truth behind the rainbow. In Genesis 9, I titled this God's Rainbow, just because of Pride Month and all the falsehood that is being propagated, promoted in our country. I, I was watching a Old Western and going through a internet free movies, TV, and they have to have their commercials up front. And, and so kind of stuck with the commercials until you get into the show. And, and so it was advertising Pride Month. And one of the things that really stuck out to me, I'm going to use it on July 4th because we're going to talk about freedom. But one of the things that stuck out to me as I was actually walking away, I just let it run. I don't want to see this anyways. But as I was leaving the living room, uh, they had a, a guy and then just the image of the word saying pride is freedom. And they're propagating a lie to the American people, to people around the world. We're going to look at that on July 4th a little bit. We're going to look at true freedom that's found in Christ Jesus and touch on some of the falsehoods that's being played out in our society today. We'll look at that on Sunday, July 4th. But tonight we're going to look at the source of the rainbow According to the word of God, God's rainbow here in Genesis chapter eight and 11, it has its connections with the flood or Noah's flood as we better know it. And tonight we're going to look at this passage that I entitled God's rainbow from chapter eight. We're going to see our heart condition and then chapter nine, God's everlasting covenant. And so I'm going to go ahead and start us out in verses one through five, reading from chapter eight. And I titled this section in chapter 8, Our Heart Condition. It really teaches us about the heart of man here in this passage. And it tells us, Genesis 8, verse 1, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him on the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. The waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water decreased. Then the ark rested on the seventh month of the 17th day of the month on the mountain of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So here we're going to learn tonight a little bit in this chapter about God bringing Noah and his family out of the ark, all the animals that were with them on the ark, bringing them out. We'll learn about the process of that deliverance. It wasn't kind of like us in a rainstorm. We were down uh, last Friday night in uh, Indianapolis eating dinner and it started raining 
really bad at the pastor's conference. We were having dinner at the church, and it was raining hard, so they opened up the shades, and then we started watching the hail hit, and we're knowing that our vehicles are going to get damaged out there, and they did. And as soon as the rain was over, we were out there ready for inspection and seeing the damage that was done to our vehicles. And and there was broken, cracked windshields and sunroofs. And I have dimples now in my truck once again from the hail that came down. But it was immediately, as soon as, I mean, it was torrential rain and there was hail mingled in with it. Somebody not in their right mind would have ran out in something like that to try to protect their vehicle. For the most part, we wait until the rain was over. But Noah didn't have that opportunity. It was the rain was over, but it wasn't immediately getting out of the ark. There was a period of waiting. And there's something that we rehearsed over the last teachings with Noah. And then before that was Enoch. Of these men, Enoch and Noah, the Bible tells us that they walked with God. And then with Noah, The Bible told us that he did all that God commanded him, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. So even after the flood, Noah waited upon the Lord. So after 40 days and 40 nights of this rain that came from heaven, did you notice that in verse 2, there were three water sources mentioned there? The fountains of the deep, the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain of heaven was restrained. I found it interesting. Fountains of the deep, the water came up from the deep. We read about that in the account of the flood itself in chapter 7. But he mentions the, which we would think one and the same, the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain of heaven was restrained. Now, it's either talking about two water sources coming from the heavenlies or talking in two different ways describing the water that fell from the heaven. I just thought it was interesting how that was worded there. But after the deluge of this water upon the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible tells us in verse 1 that God remembered Noah and all, every living thing, the animals that were there with him on the ark. And it's not that God had forgotten about Noah. It's like, oh yeah, that guy in the boat. No, it wasn't like that at all. But it was now that God's judgment was accomplished, that which he had determined to do to bring judgment upon this earth, now began the process of restoration through Noah, his family, and for the animals as well. 1 Peter 5.10 tells us, But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settled you. So at this point, Noah, his wife, his sons, their wives, even the animals, they've went through this period of suffering, and now the Lord is bringing about this period of perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and settling. So God made the wind to pass over the earth, stopping the rains from falling upon the earth, stopping up the fountains of the deep, allowing the waters to recede from the earth. It took 150 days from the beginning of the flood until the ark rested on the mountains of Ararat. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, 
seventh month, in the 600th year of Noah's life. The ark rested there upon the mountain, but it was not until the first day of the 10th month, or 224 days into it, that the tops of the mountains were seen. And so Moses, as he recorded this for us, he gave us a lot of detail, and he detailed the timing of this event. They were a long time on that ark. In verse 2, the fountains of the deep, that is something that interests a lot of people. So I uh, looked this up through answers in Genesis on this, and this is what they had to say about the fountains of the deep. It is likely that all of the water we have on the earth today wasn't above the crust before the flood. Subterranean waters from under the earth crust probably supplied some of the flood waters. Genesis 7:11 tells us that the fountains of the great deep burst forth, implying that there was water under the crust that gushed forth when the flood began. And research has shown that there is still likely more water under the crust than above it, even today. This is not surprising considering that the earth was formed in water, according to Genesis 1-2. And also that the mountains were seen. Now, raised in church, hearing the accounts of Noah, a lot of messages about it, studying it myself, and some have uh, talked about the topography of the earth being changed during the flood, and I don't doubt that there was a change some had said that there were no mountains before the flood, and I don't know if we could quite argue that, but most certainly there was an upheaval and maybe an increase of the mountains themselves. Most creation researchers, this is from the same article, most creation researchers believe that the world before the flood was radically different than today's world. This pre-flood world had a shallower seas, no deep ocean trenches. It went on to talk about the depths of some of the ocean trenches. Pretty cool article to read. It had lower mountains scattered across a single continent. Next week when we get into Genesis chapter 10, verse 25, we'll read of one of Shem's descendants, and they specifically said it was during his time that the count, that the continents divided. And so that the earth was divided, they would say. So uh, even today in school, I remember being in public school teaching about the continental drifts and how you could puzzle the earth back together again and kind of fitting with scripture. But we'll read about that next week in Genesis 10:25. It's just a mention of it was during his life, Pegleg is the man's name, that the earth was divided. And so one continent, a single continent, the dividing of the earth as we know it today, the drifting of the continents as we know today through science. Most of today's mountain ranges were probably built by the tectonic forces that inundated during the flood. We know this because and, and this is something that scientifically is just amazing. They write, we know this because the mountain ranges are full of fossils, mostly marine, and fossils are largely a flood phenomena. 
And so the mountains themselves heaving up. But the Bible saying the mountains were covered. So it makes sense that there would be fossils even today, evidence of the flood on the mountains. Verses 6 through 12, we I'll continue to get the context for us. And we find a raven and a dove. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened a window, the window of the ark, which he had made. And then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had abated from the face of the ground. The dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, a female dove. For the sole of her foot, she returned the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him that evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth, and Noah knew that the waters had abated from the earth. So he waited another seven days, sent out the dove, which did not return again to him. So Noah waiting again, just calculating the time, uh, 40 days until he opened the window. Can't you imagine you're in the ark with a lot of different animals and your own family? And it's been nearly a year. If you calculate the time out right now, we're at 264 days. And he's finally opened up the ark. That had to be a a breath of fresh air to open up the window. It did mention a singular window. Some argue that there may have been more windows in the ark. But Moses concentrates on this window. Through the window, he wanted to test whether there was a place or dry ground. And he began by sending out a raven who did not find a place to rest, but neither did it return to the ark. And then he sent out a dove. Reading it from the New King James, it almost appears that he sent out a raven. The raven didn't come back. He sent out a dove. But the Hebrew gives a sense that there might have been another seven-day wait here when he sent out the dove the first time, and then a seven-day wait. He sent it out the second time. That it would just add into the calculations of the numbers of days. And after seven days, or 271 or 278 days, now we have a possibility of a a variant of seven days. He sent out the dove that returned with the olive branch. Then waiting another seven days, he sent out the dove again. This time the dove did not return to him. And to this day, we find that the dove is a universal symbol of peace, the dove with the olive branch. We recognize this, tying it back. So we actually, I went into this study thinking about God's rainbow, God's covenant with mankind, and he actually has given us two symbols that are carried forth to this day, and the universal sign for peace is a dove with an olive branch, and then also God's rainbow. We'll see that in chapter 9. So the raven would feed off the dead animals that were no doubt still present, had no desire to return. The dove, if it found no place to land, no food to eat, it came back to its home. And since that time, symbolically, 
we've had the symbol of peace. In Noah's story, this dove tells of God's declared peace with humanity after the flood. The symbol of peace that God gave after he had purged the earth from wickedness. And also we find in the Bible that the dove represents the Holy Spirit of God. If you remember, the Lord said that the Spirit of God would only strive with man for 120 years. That was in Genesis chapter 6. And yet the Spirit of God has not left the earth. The Spirit of God is still upon this earth. God is still working in this earth. He's just operating in a different way than he did prior to the flood. Even as now with the church, the Holy Spirit is within and upon those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. When the church is raptured out of this world, the Spirit of God will continue to work upon this earth. He'll just operate in a different way during the Great Tribulation. And the Spirit of God will still be present. And so the Spirit also becoming a a symbol or symbolized through the dove as seen in Jesus' baptism, when the Spirit descended upon him as a dove, symbolizing once again God's peace with humanity. God initially showed peace through a dove and an olive branch. Ultimately, God reveals his peace through the gift of his Son and a cross and his death upon that cross. In verses 13 through 19, we find God speaking to Noah now. And he says, It came to pass in 601st year, in the first month of the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day, this is amazing to me because I had said already that Noah did all that God commanded him. Man, I'd want to be out of that ark so fast. And he keeps waiting. Yep, the ground's dry. How's it look, Noah? Looks pretty dry out there. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for God. God took us through this flood. We're going to let him. He sealed the door. We're going to allow God to open it for us as well. And so we continue reading. He looked around, saw that the ground was dry, verse 13. And then in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. And then God, verse 15, spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, verse 16. You and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, bring out with you every living thing of all the flesh that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, his sons, his wife, his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. So God spoke to Noah. It was by the word of the Lord. And here we come to the first day of the first month, either 314, 315, 21 days, Noah removed this covering bigger than the window that he initially let the dove and the raven out with. And now he's able to look out and see that the water has indeed receded from the earth. 
after 57 days, the 27th day of the second month, or 370 days, the earth was completely dried. Noah received permission from the Lord to leave the ark with his family and all the animals. And so Noah did all. I'd said that before. Genesis 6:22. Noah did all that according to the Lord that God had commanded him. So he did. And even in conducting himself as he left the ark, he waited until the word of the Lord. All right, Noah, it's time to go. We always do well when we heed the voice of the Lord, not only at the beginning of our walk and relationship with the Lord, but also as we continue on in faith. God said to the children of Israel in Exodus 19:5, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. A promise that he made to the children of Israel, if you will indeed obey my voice. It's always good to obey the word of the Lord to us. Not only at the beginning of our walk and relationship with him. For Noah, we would say that that began when the Lord came to him and told him to build an ark. Then 120 years later to get into the ark. And then a year plus later, come out of the ark. It's a continual walk that we have with the Lord. There is one slight difference that some have noted in this area. And as I'm going through Genesis, I'm thinking of some of these things. Like I mentioned this when we talked about Cain. Well, who is Cain's wife? Where do you get a wife from? And so some of these questions that people tend to have, we dealt with that. Another thing that is noticed is the commission that God, and we'll see it again in chapter 9 as well, where God said in Genesis 1.28 to Adam, he said, be fruitful and multiply. To Noah, his sons and the animals, he said, be fruitful and multiply. But here's the difference. To Adam, he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And so what is known as the dominion mandate, some believe that this dominion mandate continues on to this day, but we don't find God saying to Noah, either in chapter 8 and chapter 9, when he repeats the be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion over the earth. And so there is seemingly a change to have dominion over when the earth was perfect in God's perfect plan it made perfect sense but since the fall of mankind God no longer gives this mandate of course he instructs us to care for the planet that we live on we know today that some are taking this to the extreme they're trying to In fact, some would believe that the population of the earth would be perfect if there were only about a half a billion people on the earth. So considering that we have much larger population than that, there's a lot of people that has to be getting rid of, according to some. We need to downsize. We need to uh, go green. A lot of these different things. And it's not that... 
in the Bible and those people according to faith. I'm glad for some of the initiatives that we have. One thing that stood out to me in a big way when I was in South Sudan, we watched the Africans there, the Sudanese men, litter everywhere. And here, when I was a kid in grade school, they taught us to pick up after ourselves. My mom really taught me how to keep a clean house, but even when I was outside, and uh, even now our roadways and stuff look a lot better. They could be better. They look a lot better. But when we were in Africa, it was interesting because when we were out on safari, we had one day where we went out on safari, and we had our plastic water bottles. All the Americans carried their empties back with them. But the Africans didn't. They just pitched theirs. And it was a difference. So it's good to have responsibility over the earth that the Lord has given us. But there is this thing called dominion, a dominion mandate that was obviously given to Adam. But I don't think it was quite transferred to Noah. There was a difference in the reading of this. Some believe that since Adam failed to uphold God's dominion mandate as a result of the fall, God did not include this mandate with Noah after the flood. But nevertheless, it's good to care for this planet. We can do our best. Keep thinking of this. I need to facts check this, but who knows if facts are actually true or not sometimes. But I told Lily I saw something pop up on social media Everybody going green We're um, with a 2006 vehicle talking about a, a different vehicle for Lily this year. And I keep teasing her that the way to go is going to be electric because in 10 years, one, you won't even have to drive your own car. They'll do it for you. And number two, gasoline might just really get really expensive. But I heard this week, need the facts check this one that in california they were telling people don't don't be charging your electric cars all the time you're hurting the electric grid well yeah a lot of us has been we've been kind of thinking that that would probably happen right but the state of california that wants to go so green they tap electric sources from at least five other states they're going green but they're burning our government New president, stop the pipeline, but tap the sources for fuel and stuff over in the Middle East. It's got to come from somewhere. It's just technology, I believe, could get there. We're trying to rush some of these things, and that's usually when we get in trouble. So we close out in verses 20 through 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal, of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. First thing Noah did as he came out of the ark was build an altar. He took some of the animals. And we had learned that Noah took seven of 
every clean animal, seven pairs of every clean animals. And here we understand one of the reasons why there were more of the clean animals. And they were offered unto God as a burnt offering to the Lord. So the sacrificial offering that he had learned and had been passed on to him from Adam and through the family line, now he worships the Lord for delivering them through this deluge of the flood. God smelt the sweet-smelling aroma of that offering, and he promised never again to curse the ground for man's sake. Remember, that was Adam's curse. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Even now, Paul tells us in Romans 8 that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Romans 8, 22 and verse 21, the reason they're groaning and laboring, they're waiting to be delivered from the bondage of corruption that was placed upon it at the fall. So God promised never again would he curse the ground. And then he said something interesting to me. Even though every intent and thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. That's what we read in Genesis 6, 5. The reason for the flood, that every intent and thought of man's heart was only evil continually. God brought a flood, destroyed the evil of mankind, Genesis 6, 5. But then after the flood, 8, 21, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. You notice that the heart condition didn't change. God saved a group of people, but the condition of their hearts, they still had a heart condition in the sense that they still needed a relationship with God. They still needed the work of God's salvation in their lives. Today, that work comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord, where we are given new hearts. As David cried out, in Psalm 51:10, he cried out for something that was not attainable to him at that time, saying, Oh, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Because his relationship with God was made or built off those sacrificial offerings and his conduct before the Lord. But now God has made the possibility of a new heart through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, where God foretold of this in Ezekiel 36, 26, saying, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'd mentioned this in our study in the book of Revelation. I just want to repeat it again, because... We're working on the promises of God versus what science, it's a big word these days in our society, or what man is teaching, the whole Green New Deal, everything based off of man's science, that in 2014, the senior UN official stated, generating three centimeters of topsoil takes 1,000 years. This is his statement. If the current rate of degradation continues, all the world's topsoil would be gone within 60 years. And some have caused people to panic. Global warming, climate change, Green New Deal, whatever you want to call it, they're saying that some saying we only have 30 harvests left. 
But God promised. Notice what he promised there in 8.22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. If there's only 30 harvests left on this earth, it means the Lord's coming is very soon. God sent his son in order that we would be given those new hearts because of the condition of our hearts. It's only evil continually. God sent his son to pay the price of our sins that he might give us, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5:17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the God I worship. That's the God I serve. Genesis chapter 9, we find God's covenant, God's everlasting covenant. Remember, I gave the title of this teaching, God's Rainbow. We're going to learn about that here in chapter 9. So we first learn about the institution of government by God, verses 1 through 7. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the air on all that move on the earth and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I've given it to you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat the flesh with its life. That is its blood. Surely For your lifeblood, I shall demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast. I will require it from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother. I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God, he made man. And as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth multiply in it so here we i had mentioned this the institution of government that's found in the lower portion of this but here in verses uh two and three apparently a change that had taken place from before the flood and after the flood in verse two we find that the animals now feared noah and his sons they shall be a dread upon them upon every bird every animal that moves on the earth, the fish in the sea, that there was a change. It seems that when Adam and Eve were there in the garden, they walked with the animals. God brought the animals to them. God brought the animals to Noah to go on the ark. But there was a change afterwards, but also a change in food. Some have believed by verse 3 that prior to this time that humanity were vegetarians But now God allowed animals to be eaten for food. He said, I have given you all things, even as I have given the green herbs. So that phrase, even as I have given the green herbs, just like I've given you the green herbs. Now you can also have a steak with that salad. Thank you, God. I enjoy that. But then he dwells on the blood and the sanctity of life. That all life is precious. God said, because surely your life blood, I will demand a reckoning. Verse five. Remember, God strove with mankind for 120 years 
before the flood, even though, Genesis 6, 5, the wickedness of man was great and every intent and thought of his heart was only evil continually. We should likewise strive in the sanctity of human life. God gave here many see in verses 6 and 7, the institution of human government. There were three institutions that I've learned a long time ago, according to the Bible. I looked it up today just to, I typed in three institutions of God, biblically as we find, and, and they came up with the same three that I was thinking about. I don't know, maybe somebody can dig up a few more, but the three that I have always learned was that of marriage. God gave Eve to Adam. God was there with marriage or family, first institution. The second government found here in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 9 where capital punishment, the right of capital punishment, if man sheds blood, by man his blood shall be shed. So there's going to be some type of judgment take place for that. And then third, the institution of the church itself. You don't get to that until the New Testament, but the three institutions ordained by God, marriage, or we might say family, government, and the church. The sanctity of life. We hear that a lot today. And it's something that the Lord gives us the reason why. Because man was created in the image of God. Why should we honor all human life? Because man was created in the image of God. It doesn't matter our skin color. I always love uh, Acts chapter 17. Paul saying to the Athenians there in Athens that from one blood all men have been created on this earth. From one blood. Even science today has a similar theory. Theirs is a theory. Ours is the word of God. But they say that all humanity comes from one place in Africa somewhere. One mother they trace all DNA back to. They're just trying to figure out what the word of God has already told us. From one blood, humanity has come. But the, the life in the blood, life has been sanctified by God and therefore should be held precious by us, especially as believers. So God, through man, enacts the death penalty here, again, human government, but also the sanctity of life. That humanity, because they've been created in the image of God, God has placed us in a different place over the rest of the creation, over the rest of God's creation. In God, God has breathed the spirit of man. In God, God has given us a soul. And the spirit of God himself breathed life into man. As believers in Jesus Christ, the breath of the Holy Spirit was breathed into the disciples. Now animals, they have breath and they have life, but they do not bear the souls that we have as the creation of God. And so in that sense, we've been created in the image of God, not that we are identical to God, but that human life is holy in the sense that we've been set apart from all other creative life here on this earth. And the sanctity of life should motivate us to combat all forms of evil, injustice upon this earth, violence, abuse, 
human trafficking becoming really big these days. Of course, uh, abortion, all of these things. We should honor what God has honored. And we should fight for what God fights for. So God gives a covenant in verses 8 through 17, the Noahic covenant as we know it today, 8 through 17. And God spoke to Noah, his sons with him saying, As for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is a sign of my covenant which I make between me and you, every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I will set my rainbow. Notice that God said my rainbow. Whose rainbow? It's God's. I will set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be when I bring the cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. I'd learned that my granddaughter Mackenzie had posted on her Instagram page just a, a verse about God's rainbow, probably coming from Genesis chapter 9. The truth behind the rainbow. She did that a couple of weeks ago and was unfriended by some of her friends. People don't want to hear this, but notice that God said it's my rainbow. And, and think about this. Every time we see a rainbow and we get to see those every once in a while, my son who lives in Hawaii sees them almost every day. God says, I'll also be looking at the rainbow. That's kind of cool to think about, kind of cool to ponder about. I don't think we actually think much of, oh, look, a rainbow. And God's saying to his angels, oh, look, a rainbow on the other side. <laughs> in fact, we should maybe ponder the fact that God is remembering his covenant every time he shows us this rainbow, that never again would there be a worldwide flood to cut off all flesh from the earth. In other words, God was saying to Noah in this covenant, if you'll do what I've commanded you to do, I promise that I will never again destroy the earth by the waters of the earth. It's wonderful to know that it's God's rainbow and that he is the one who keeps the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature upon this earth. Remember, when we look up and see a rainbow in the sky, God is looking down upon this earth and remembering his covenant with us. Yet today, the rainbow 
is quite confusing in our world today. I took this from an article. It's called, the website is called Digest from Experts. So here's a little word from the experts. I'm not good enough for you. I had to go to the experts here. Rather than a symbol of blessing, the rainbow is a reminder of God's gracious goodness to not punish us as our sins deserve. It is a sign for all the world to see that our creator is a patient God who does not want, and they quote Second Peter 3, 9, doesn't want anyone to perish, but that all should come to repentance. While God has promised to never send another global flood upon the earth, the Bible clearly warns of an impending day of judgment. It is interesting that the true rainbow, this is me now, this is my expert thoughts. <laughs> it interested me. I thought about the pride flag. We've seen it everywhere. And so I asked the question, how many colors are in a rainbow? Maybe you knew it already. Maybe you knew the colors of the rainbow. I've never memorized these, but seven colors in a rainbow, the colors making up of red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. In the Bible, the number seven is a number of completion or perfection. Gilbert Baker's, we talked about this a few weeks ago, his original pride flag that he painted had eight colors. And we went through his colors of hot pink, red, orange, yellow, green, turquoise, indigo, and violet. And so adding two, and there are some pride flags, I think right now it's settled in with six colors, but I also saw seven colors in some of this. Know that the world may counterfeit the promises of God, but only God is able to keep the true promise that the rainbow represents. The world is trying to say this month especially, and, and I heard that Canada, instead of having Pride Month, they're going to have Pride Season this year, meaning like through the whole summer. And that's their goal. Go from a month, Pride Day, to a month, to a season, to forever, right? Pride is freedom, is what the world is trying to teach us today. The world's freedom is bondage. True freedom comes through Jesus Christ. So the sons of Noah, verses 18 and 19, the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from them the whole earth was populated. So during the pre-flood or antediluvian period before the flood, simply means before the flood, all mankind had come from Adam and Eve. But now, post-flood or the post-diluvian period, we find the world would be repopulated through Noah's three sons. And we'll read about those, uh, the population of the earth in chapters 10 and half of 11, as chapter 11 will really zero in on Noah's son, Shem. But we'll read about the repopulation or the 70 nations in Genesis chapter 10. A little preview for coming up for next week. But also, we get introduced to the line of Shem 
the godly line, that which Abraham would come out of, that's introduced to us in Genesis chapter 11. So just a mention of them here in verses 18 and 19, more detail to follow in chapters 10 and 11, but really not a lot of detail about his sons. Here's one of the things that we learn about his sons that is really troubling. The event that took place right after all of this, the rescue of Noah, we find that Noah, though he was a good man, a man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Noah was not a perfect man. Verses 20 through 27 to close this out tonight. The word of God tells us, And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders and went in backwards to cover their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. And then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, verse 26, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Jephthah, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. So once again, Noah was a man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but Noah was not a perfect man. And here we find an incident that has a lot of people kind of scratching their head exactly what took place that would cause Noah to get so angry with his son that he would curse him and make him the servants of Shem and Jephthah. And we learn the compassion that Shem and Jephthah had toward their father, uh, putting a blanket on their shoulders, walking in backwards to cover his nakedness. And so this cursing, again, I'm going to go to a source. I have a lot of commentaries all over, all the way from, you know, the writers from the 1500s, 1600s to last century current writings too. But I've been using Got Questions a lot because it's a good resource, one, but I also want you guys to get in the habit of this. So I went to gotquestions.com to kind of look up this question of what about Noah's nakedness? This is what they had to say. Before the fall of mankind, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, lived without clothing in a perfect natural state. But after the fall, nakedness became a source of shame. Remember, they hid themselves, they covered themselves, made a covering of fig leaves to cover themselves because of their nakedness. It's one of the first things the Bible tells us that they realized. Oops, forgot my clothes. That was Adam and Eve after the fall. In fact, their shame of their own nakedness was the first felt consequence of Adam and Eve's sin. Since then, nakedness have been linked with sexuality, privacy, and vulnerability. And, uh, and the privacy I really like. We're, we're getting, again, in our world today, I had a taste of what's coming to the United States when I 
was in uh, laid over in Europe. When I was going to South Sudan, I flight laid over in one of the uh, countries in Europe where <laughs> I went to go to the bathroom. We were waiting. We had several hours to wait. So I went to go to the bathroom and uh, found the bathroom downstairs. And as walking down this flight of stairs, they had the guy's bathroom and the girl's bathroom before us, the guy's bathroom to the left as you came down. That was the only thing down there. The guy's bathroom had, it was a big opening, like 15 feet wide, and the urinals were right there, lined up. It's like no privacy whatsoever. It's like, really? It's like, I'll find another place. It's not going to work for me. Now, although the girls had a wide open entryway, they had the stalls there, and they had privacy within the stalls. But I just thought, really? Just the urinals? I mean, it's bad enough when you're in a bathroom with a bunch of guys like at the Cubs game or something, and you're all in that miserable trough thing. <laughs> but even when I found another bathroom, here in America, bathrooms shut down. They're cleaning the bathrooms. There where I was at, the gals were in there cleaning the bathrooms, guy's bathroom. It was a guy's bathroom at least. But the gals were in there cleaning. They didn't shut it down. They were just in there doing their job. And you had to find privacy or not. It was just, it blew my mind. It's coming. I'm absolutely convinced. It's coming to a nation near you. <laughs> Nakedness has been linked with sexuality, privacy, vulnerability. When the Bible speaks of uncovering nakedness, it usually refers to some type of sexual sin, perversion, or dishonor. So some have debated whether this was even mocking Noah's nakedness or some type of homosexuality. Some have argued this out of this passage. I will not put in more than what we can read. Something went on. Noah was very upset. He cursed his son because of this. But the blessing of Shem... As Shem is always mentioned first, and this is something we're going to see. In the genealogies, we'll find it all the way in um, Second Chronicles. They'll list the genealogy of the line of Abraham from Adam through Noah, through Shem, to Abraham, to uh, David, all through the line, all the way to Jesus Christ. When the sons are mentioned, Shem is mentioned first. Some believe this is because... He might have been the eldest of the brothers. Others believe this is simply because this is the godly line of which God would choose to send his son. The days of Noah, after the flood, 350 years, making Noah the third longest living soul on this earth, according to the Bible, of 950 years. But we find that there would be, as we read through Chapter 10, we'll see the diminishing of the years until Moses would one day write in Psalm 90:10. Moses only wrote one psalm that's found in Psalm, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 90:10. He said, the days in the life are 70 years. If by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow. For as soon as they are cut off, we fly away. So, the lifespan now after the flood will diminish rather rapidly. 
as we see as we continue through the book of Genesis. A couple of other Genesis quotes from the New Testament, talking about Noah, not quoting, but really talking about the life of Noah. Hebrews 11:7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things yet not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world. And then Jesus saying in Matthew 24, 37 through 39, But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, they did not know until the flood came and took them away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Although... Noah was a sinful man. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And today, that grace can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. Here on Wednesday nights, we've been going over, rehearsing the ABCs of salvation. For those who may be listening tonight on WLGS, watching through social media, the A stands for admit. We need to admit to God that we are sinners. In Romans 3.23, it tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You ask people today, just in general, if they believe that there is a God, if they believe that there is a heaven, and that their path to heaven is through goodness. Most people believe it's because of their good works, but the Bible tells us that there are none good, no, not one. But thankfully... 1 John 1.9 also tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to admit to God that we are sinners. The B is for believe. We have to believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, the burial, resurrection, his ascension back to the Father. We have to believe that he is coming again and we have to receive that gift of salvation that has been offered through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the C is confess. Confess your faith in Jesus. Share that faith with others as well. Romans 10.9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10.13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever calls, all you have to do is call. You have to be willing to ask Jesus to save your soul. If you have questions regarding faith, if you're listening on the radio, watching through social media, please reach out to us at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. We would love to correspond with you. And even now, and we're going to close out just asking God to bring salvation to the hearts of those who would desire it tonight. And so we'll, in my closing prayer, I'll pray that prayer with you tonight. This coming Sunday, we're looking at Revelation chapter 5. Worthy is the Lamb. Revelation chapter 5, here at Calvary Chapel Lake Villa at 10 a.m. or through Facebook, 
through the radio ministry this coming Sunday, Revelation chapter 5. If you'd like more information about the church, you can go to cclv.org and you can find out information about our church, how to leave a prayer request about our church itself, other sermons that are recorded or available for you there, and also how you can support our ministry as well. Um, we got for our board, we have some talking to do, but the Lord has seemed to bless us this week. Yay. And I've been waiting for such a blessing. And uh, it looks like we'll be able to do the big things that we've been wanting to do. Uh, streaming our radio ministry and getting um, video cameras for the church and everything. We have the funding now, so we can just move forward with that. God has provided I was thinking about crafting a letter to try to get it out of you, but God said, no, you don't have to do that. I'll just provide it and uh, go from there. So thank you, Lord. I heard Kevin kind of shout. He was shocked. <laughs> but uh, it will allow us to kind of take some big steps that we've been wanting to take for over a year now. And so now the Lord has provided we We'll give him praise for that as we stand and pray together. And so tonight, Lord, we first and foremost want to just think of our brothers and sisters or those, Lord, who don't know you as Savior or those, Lord, maybe listening on the radio tonight. Maybe, Lord, they're watching through Facebook. Maybe they're struggling in their faith. They have questions. Father, I pray that they would cry out to you tonight. We have a friend that came through this ministry who is now a Navy chaplain. And Lord, when he was in the military as a Marine laying on the shores of the Euphrates River, there, not even knowing you, Jesus, he just cried out saying, God, if you're real, showed yourself in my life. And our friend Cole said the next morning he woke up and everything was different. God, sometimes we don't even know how to pray. But if the prayer is made with a heart that is true, truly searching, truly seeking, we know, Lord, that you will hear. Even though the words may not even seem correct, Lord, that you will not only hear, but you will guide. And so I pray for those, Lord, tonight. May they cry out to you in life-saving faith. And the Bible tells us that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For those, Lord, who are willing to cry out to Jesus this night, we pray, Lord, the work of salvation upon their lives. We thank you, Lord, for the provision of this church. Lord, you have provided. Uh, we are coming up, I think, our 26th year of ministry. You have provided, Lord. Through all these years, you have provided. And Father, this week we've seen a, a larger gift that is going to help us to just take some larger steps in ministry. So, Lord, before we take these steps, we ask your blessing upon them. We ask, Lord, that you give us wisdom in each of these steps. But most importantly, Lord, that the steps would be made to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. People need to hear truth. Now more than ever, I am convinced, Lord, help Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa be a voice of truth. In these last days, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.